This episode of the Pretty Happy Podcast is brought to you by our website, prettyhappy.place. Please visit our website to support the show. Welcome to the Pretty Happy Podcast. My name is Sam. And I'm Sarah, and we're the parents of Zoe, a child with Brett syndrome. And we are on episode two. Two. Yes. It has been amazing, the amount of support we've been getting from everybody. Thank you so much for listening, for subscribing, for sharing everything we're doing. This has been great to see everybody come out. I've loved hearing the stories of people that we've been interviewing and like the similarities between our story and their story and the the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Which you guys don't uh, haven't heard any of those interviews yet. No, you have not. <laughs> so that's kind of a little teaser then there, I guess. So, but uh, let's go ahead and jump into our segment. And uh, Sarah, you have our segment for today. I do. So the segment today is about holding space, um, and specifically holding space for parents of special needs kids and what that means and ways that you can do that. So holding space basically means to be physically, mentally, and emotionally there for somebody. Um, It means that you're there for that person to give them a judgment-free space in order to speak their truth, whatever that may be. Um, A lot of times people can get uncomfortable when parents of special needs kids talk about their kids because they just don't know what to say. Um, They don't understand what it's like and they don't feel like they can empathize with them. And that leads to saying things like, well, at least they can, you know, do whatever or at least they are whatever, happy or smiley or or whatever it is. Um, And while saying things like that are generally meant in the best possible way, it's not particularly helpful and it kind of downplays how the parent is feeling. Um, What I hear when somebody says that to me is that I'm not being grateful for the things that I have. I'm not being grateful that I have a happy kid. Um, When in reality, I just needed to hear I just needed somebody to let me say and um, what I was feeling so that I can feel that and just move forward. Um, and so here are some ways that you can hold space for a special needs parent. Um, the first is really simple, but it's not always easy. And that's to actively listen to what they're saying and not be thinking about how you're gonna respond but just listen, just be there to hear what they have to say. Um, The second is to not minimize their feelings. So instead of saying things like, I can't imagine what that's like, um, and creating, you know, a feeling of isolation for that parent, you could say things like, well, that must be really hard. Um, I can tell, you know, you're struggling with that, or I can tell you're having a hard time with that. And even telling them that you don't know what to say is better. Um, Because in order for most people to deal with their emotions, they need to acknowledge them first. 
So just let them feel whatever it is they're feeling. Um, third is don't compare what they're saying to an experience somebody else had. I can't tell you how many times while searching for our daughter's diagnosis that parents, especially parents that I didn't even know, would tell me about some friend's cousin's kid who was behind and caught up on their own time, so don't worry because your kid's going to catch up. If you haven't experienced it yourself, you're not going to fully understand how that parent is feeling. Um, whether they have a diagnosis or not. So don't use somebody else's experience and say it's just like that parents, because it's not. Um, the fourth is to let them know, even though you don't understand, that you want to be there for them. Ask them if you can help, but don't be offended if they tell you no. Because sometimes, for special needs parents, it's way easier for us to just do whatever it is ourselves rather than explain all the nuances and extra considerations that go through our minds while we're taking care of our kiddo. Um, but know that, that we appreciate that you asked. Um, we know it's tiring to keep asking us if we need help or if we wanna go out and do things with you. But we really, do, we really do appreciate the fact that you thought of us and that you wanted to do something with us, even if it's just not quite gonna work out um, with what we're, we have planned for our kid or what, uh, what things we need to do with our kid that day. So holding space can be really hard, especially when it comes to parents of, of special needs kids, but we really, do appreciate it when when others can do that for us. I think another name for this could be don't be obtuse. <laughs> Maybe that's a little too forward. Um, <laughs> but I think most, I think generally speaking, I think people are trying to be helpful. They're trying to make you feel better. I think though that uh, we need to also recognize that as parents of children with special needs, we are just as guilty of that. It's true. Because we're not born into the situation of being a parent of a child with special needs. Therefore, we are always in the process of learning and growing, and we're going to do it quicker than our neighbors and our friends and our, and our extended family because we're there in it every day. That's but true. we still do those things that we were talking about. Um, I, I, I can think of a number of times when I've spoken with people and said, at least they can do that. At least they can experience this. At least, at least, at least. Which you're right, it really does downplay the situation. And well, and I think it's, it happens with typical children too. It does. Where, where, and let's just take parenting out of it. Let's take parenting out of it altogether and just say, we do this as human beings all the time where we see at say at least you can xyz yeah at least you're able to xyz as opposed to being in the moment with the individual acknowledging that this person most likely is not coming to you to seek out assistance or help mm -hmm. or information they don't want the problem fixed yes they want empathy they want love they want support they want caring 
Mm-mm. And the best way to do that is acknowledging what they are going through and don't belittle that experience. Yeah. Even if you are doing it uh, out of love. Yeah. And out of yeah, caring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think probably belittling is also a really strong word that isn't appropriate for the what I'm trying to convey. <laughs> But at the same time, I think... Minimizing. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Because that, that's exactly what's happening is we are saying, hey, it could be worse. It could be worse. Yeah. Um, now, sometimes I think in our own heads, that's fine for us to be doing that. But if you hear somebody yeah. else say that, that's always really hard. I think it, And I think it really is the context when that's said. Yeah. Because, like, I can sometimes, I'll sometimes say that to myself, but that is my motivation to get through that moment. Yeah. That isn't, you know, um, my entire feeling on the subject. (laughs) But that is, I need to move on right this second to something else. So that is my little band-aid that I'm going to put over that Mm -hmm. so that I can get to that next step. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, that yeah. was great. Thanks for sharing that with us. You are very welcome. So for our main topic today, Sam got to interview... People! Yay! <laughs> these are these uh, notorious people that... Sarah has teased that we've been meeting with. (laughs) But uh, this is really exciting. This is our very first interview, and we got to meet uh, Misty Startup. Well, I got to meet Misty, who is the mother of a a young woman with Rett syndrome. Her name is Kennedy, and Kennedy is 21 years of age. So Kennedy was diagnosed in the early 2000s, and so Misty and her family have been taking on Rhett for a couple of decades now. And their story is awesome. It is so amazing. And so I am so excited to share with you guys this interview that I had with Misty just a little while ago. Well, today I am pleased to have Miss Misty Startup from California joining us today. And she has a child with Rhett syndrome. How are you doing today, Misty? I am pretty good, actually. Thank you. It's good. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Misty, let's let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your family. Okay. Um, I am a mother of six, and my daughter Kennedy is um, our middle child. She's the third, and she's the one that has Rett syndrome. I am also a nurse and um, have been a nurse for almost 26 years. Um, And yeah, we've lived in California our whole lives and we we love the weather. (laughs) There's a lot of things we don't love about California, but we love the weather. So that's been helpful with uh, Kennedy and being able to do a lot of outdoor things. So that's, that's been nice. That's wonderful. 
yeah, that definitely is one of the big pros of uh, living out in California as opposed to like North Dakota or, or Maine or, or someplace like that where you get a couple months uh, or a couple exactly. weeks, excuse me, of summer. So. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, so tell me about Kennedy. What, what's she like? What does she like to do? Who is Kennedy? Well, so Kennedy, she she just turned 21 in August, so just a couple months ago. And she is just, you know, easygoing, go with the flow. Um, she absolutely loves SpongeBob. She will watch SpongeBob all day long. Oh, no. Um, she, <laughs> yes, which, you know, the rest of us are learning to deal with it because it makes her happy. So, absolutely. Um, she loves SpongeBob. She also loves the song, The Wheels on the Bus. So, if we ever need her to smile or we ever, you know, when, when we're doing family pictures or we did her graduation pictures, my daughter's wedding pictures, we all have to do kind of a song and dance and sing the wheels on the bus for her to smile. <laughs> so, so you guys end up looking like a circus. Yes, exactly. That's awesome. She knows how to play us very well. <laughs> <laughs> I think she does it on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how I feel about our daughter Zoe is sometimes she, she does things where she knows she's playing us, but it just makes the experience that much better. Exactly. It's yeah. We, we need to record us trying to take pictures of her cause that's more of the entertainment. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. Well, so tell me what Kennedy was like um, right after she was born. Cause was she uh, diagnosed shortly after she was born or was it uh, uh, quite a bit of time afterwards? What was that experience like? Okay. So she, um, oh my gosh, I had the easiest pregnancy with her. So she was my third easy pregnancy, easiest delivery ever. Um, I had the epidural and I literally was just laying in bed and all of a sudden I thought, Oh my gosh, I just felt like a pop. I think, <laughs> I think something's <laughs> coming out. And sure enough, I called the the nurse in and she's like, Oh my gosh, there's the head. And I literally, you know, had to push a couple of times and she was out. Um, and just an easygoing baby. So easygoing. Um, and I could sit her in the swing and she would just be content all day long. And um, she was a good nurser. My first two girls did not nurse well and Kennedy nursed really well. And so she was just a good baby. We had no idea anything was wrong. Um, it was just, you know, very similar to the first pregnancies and deliveries, um, but easier. Then at about eight months old, uh, we noticed that she wasn't playing patty cake or peekaboo. And when you would sit her in front of you, she no longer would just look at you. She would turn away. Every time you would sit in front of her and, and try to get her attention, she would just look away. And I thought, okay, that's really weird. Why is she doing that all of a sudden? And so when I took her to the doctor, um, just for her checkup, the doctor said, you know what, I think it's just because she's your, your third baby and she's just kind of being lazy and, and allowing you to do everything for her. And I said, no, that, 
it's totally different. You know, she was doing certain things and yet she wasn't really interested in crawling or sitting up. Um, and she just seemed really flexible, really kind of loosey goosey. Um, yeah. I, we, we would call her Gumby cause she would just lay on the floor and then all of a sudden she'd spread her legs out in the splits and she would just sit in the splits. And we would joke around, oh my goodness, she's gonna be a gymnast one day cause she's so flexible. Yeah. And so when I explained that to the doctor, he, he again wasn't too concerned about it. So he blew us off. And when I took her back for her year checkup, the same thing, he's like, well, I'll check for hip dysplasia and some other things. He's like, but I really don't see anything wrong. I think she's just, you know, taking her time. I said, okay, but in my, in my heart, something was not right. And, you know, we weren't those type of parents that held her all day long or did everything for her. I mean, this was our third. We didn't have time to do that. So Absolutely. it didn't make sense to me. So when we took her back at her 18-month appointment, I insisted. I said, no, something is wrong. You need to do some more testing. We need to go see a neurologist or something. And he said, you know, okay. I do agree that 18 months she should be, you know, doing more than she is. And so let's start her in an early intervention program. I said, okay, that was something. I was happy for that. So we started her in the early intervention program. And within about six months, by the time she was two years old, I actually felt like we were regressing more and that it was not helping us at all like we were she was doing worse than she was at 18 months and i thought we should be making progress and so the doctor finally said okay let's let's get some testing done and so we went to a geneticist and they said, let's check for Prader Willie, let's check for Angelman's, let's rule out Fragile X, um, you know, all, all kinds of things that I had never heard of. And those tests all came back normal. And I started just doing as much research as I could. And in the meantime, the doctors, the neurologists were all saying, well, I think she's just got pervasive developmental disorder, or, you know, maybe she has a little cerebral palsy or autism and nothing ever sat well with me. I didn't agree with them. Cause I just thought, how do you just all of a sudden have cerebral palsy, you know, a year later, if nothing's happened and I just questioned things. So finally, um, we had a doctor that said, okay, let's check for Rett syndrome. And I had no idea what it was, but I remember reading in an autistic book, there was like two pages in the book that talked about Rett syndrome. And I would remember sitting on the beach while I was reading this book. And all of a sudden I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what Kennedy has. It like described her to a T. 
um, you know, she had the microcephaly and she would just, um, she kind of had started grinding her teeth. And in the early intervention program, they were getting all excited. The therapists were getting excited because they thought that Kennedy was learning to sign for the word more. Uh-huh. And I had to laugh because I'm like, but she's doing that all day long. Yes. How could somebody possibly <laughs> want more? Or whatever, all the time. All that's, that's exactly how it was for uh, Zoe as well. The exact same thing. Uh, I, I need to be honest, I was in denial of anything going on. And I was that individual saying, well, yeah, she's signing more. She's signing more. But it was my <laughs> wife, just as you, Misty, pointing out, no, this is a little more consistent than, uh, than it's supposed to be. Right, right. So where everybody else was excited that they thought she was learning a new skill, I was like, no, that's that's not it. And And then it became more, you know, where she would clap her hands and then put them in her mouth and clap her hands and put them in her mouth. And then it, it became more hand wringing and, and more involved. Um, and so in the meantime, we, you know, we ended up having to pay for the test out of our pocket because insurance wouldn't pay for that. Yeah. Um, so we, we paid the $500 to get her tested and um, a couple weeks later, the early intervention program called and said, hey, we have an autistic specialist that's coming and we have an opening if you want to come meet with the autistic specialist. And um, unfortunately, I had already had a scheduled um vacation. I was going out of town with a bunch of my friends. And so I thought, okay, well, my husband can just meet with her because she doesn't have autism. I know she doesn't have autism. It's something else. Um, it might be on the autism spectrum, but I said, no, there's something more to it. Cause it's more of a physical thing as well as a cognitive thing. And so my husband went to the appointment with this Dr. Bowman and Within two minutes, he said, within two minutes of seeing Kennedy and just watching her and observing her, she said, you know, she doesn't have autism. I'm 90% sure she has Rett syndrome. Oh, my gosh. And my husband called me and he's like, isn't that what, you know, you just read about? And is that what the doctor, you know, the geneticist finally said, you know, we could test for and I said, yes, that's it. I knew it. That's exactly what she has. And so by the time we got that diagnosis from her, I mean, I just felt like that was it. And it was almost a relief, you know? So yeah. we definitely were sad um, because of all the things that we had read. In fact, I, I went to my, cause I'm a journal writer and I, I keep a journal and I went to my journal and just to remember, cause this has been, you know, over 17 years ago and it, I just have to read what I put. Um, I felt a small amount of relief in finally having an answer, but now more anxiety and questions from that diagnosis. 
However, all the internet info and things I've read are very contradictory. One thing says doom and gloom, and the next is hopeful with all the research that is starting. So it was, it was one of those things that was like, you know, finally we have an answer, but oh my gosh, the internet is scary, you know? Um, and, that's, and that's exactly what uh, Sarah and I experienced um, because we, we walked out of our preliminary diagnosis and went to Google and it was a lot of doom and gloom, but you could also see families leading very happy lives. It was very conflicted, um, yes. which in, in our situation made it very difficult to decide how we were going to react to it. Um, there was yeah. so much emotion going on. Thank goodness you know, it's, it's nothing uh, uh, terminal, but oh my gosh, look at all these things that are being taken away from her. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it would, it definitely ran us through the full spectrum of emotions. Exactly. Well, you know, and something else that, that I, I need to add in there that's kind of important was um, when Kennedy was, she was just, she had just turned a year old and we, barely knew that, you know, in our minds that something was kind of off. So no, no real diagnosis or anything. Right. And my husband and I were sitting down watching TV when all of a sudden this, you know, documentary with Julia Roberts came on and we were kind of sucked into it and started watching it. And you know, just thought, oh, that's so sad about, you know, these, these silent angels that she's talking about. And oh my gosh, you know, the, what the families are going through. Well, needless to say, three years later, when we got that diagnosis of Rett syndrome, my husband and I both thought, oh, that's the documentary that we were watching. Wow. We watched that and, the, and had no clue that Kennedy was going to be one of those girls, you know, with that. And it was so weird to think back and remember. And so after I had written that in my um, journal about, you know, going to the internet and the doom and gloom, I put in here, um, I'm going to write Oprah Winfrey and see if she'll do a show with Julia Roberts in it since Julia did this. <laughs> the documentary on Rett syndrome and I just remember thinking oh my gosh this is going to be huge you know we have yeah. Julia Roberts as a spokesperson like we're going to be able to you know raise money and and do all kinds of stuff and I remember you know writing Ellen DeGeneres and you know anybody that I could um, think of to write you know that's my my naive self <laughs> that that I would be important enough to you know influence them but it was just really interesting that you know it kind of played a part in preparing us if you will absolutely you know well, what what ended up being the most difficult part of the grieving process for you you know what I think the hardest part was I had several friends that all had girls the same age. And 
So while I'm taking my daughter to doctor's appointments and therapies and getting blood tests and, you know, all these things, their daughters are, you know, in little cute dance classes and playing soccer and, you know, doing the gymnastics that I had always thought my daughter was going to do. So yeah. that, that was the hardest part for me was to see those milestones that she wasn't hitting firsthand. Like they're literally growing up right across the street from us. And it was really hard. That was really hard. Um, I, I almost had to, you know, distance myself um, from, from watching them do the things they were doing because it would just make me sad. Um, I couldn't compare, you know, I just had to, to live in the moment and take one day at a time. And so I, I did, I had to kind of take a step back um, and just, you know, okay, Kennedy, this is where we are. Let's, let's move forward one day at a time. Let's go to your therapy and, and celebrate the teeny little progress that you made today. Um, because Kennedy didn't, she didn't walk until she was three. So when she started walking at three, oh my gosh, we were ecstatic. Um, it was huge for us. And when she would actually pick something up and, and use her hands, um, it, it was just like we were celebrating these huge milestones. You know, we, we started celebrating when she would poop because, that, because the constipation was so bad. We started celebrating, you know, poopy diapers and, you know, those, those little things that you take for granted, you know, with your, your normal growing kids. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what was it that uh, made it uh, easier for you to overcome, you know, that grief that that your originally imagined future uh, uh, with your daughter had changed? What what uh, what was that um, final nail in the coffin that made you just say, "This is our life," and and I accept it. Maybe not happily, but you do accept it. Yeah. Um, so we got the diagnosis October 7th of 2003. And November, the end of November of that same year, so just a month later or so, um, I, again, wrote in my journal and I said, I finally got to meet some other moms at a RET luncheon. I only got to see a couple of the girls. It was so nice to finally have a support group. I asked a lot of questions and came up with a ton more after meeting them. I have finally found another family. I am so grateful for the internet, although we have troubles with it all the time because of course it was like dial up, right? But yeah. being able to email people and all over the world about issues that they have dealt with has been such a blessing. So that was when life changed, you know, so we had about a month or so that we just really didn't know what to think or what to do or, you know, what our life was going to be like. And 
after meeting with those moms that were just locally here um, and seeing, oh my gosh, you know, these people are, are happy people. You know, we yeah. were laughing and joking and sharing stories and we could relate to each other. And I was like, okay, life is going to go on. I'm going to be fine. Not to say that I'm not going to have my moments because even still she's 21 and I, I still have my moments. In fact, I had a moment last night. Um, but you know, I, I have myself a little cry and get it out. And then I pick myself up and get going again. Um, but that was, that was probably the biggest life changer in that moment was knowing that I had other people that I could talk to that knew exactly what I was going through. I I think that's the, what needs to be shared most with new families is, you know, it it is totally fine and acceptable to go through the grieving process. Um, But if you can make connections with people who can understand firsthand what you are going through, those relationships will help you overcome that grieving process that much quicker. And like you said, it's, it's, it's a process. I don't think it, it ever really ends. There are times where I realize, oh, I didn't even think that Zoe won't be able to do that. Um, right. She probably won't be able to have that experience. And for a moment, um, it, it's devastating. It's hard. It's difficult. But then recognizing that um, it, it's, it, it is the life situation we're in. And so how do we make the best of it? Um, right. We're all given well, different well, challenges and, and, and our daughters have been given something that's much greater and we just need to work with it. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's, you know, so now my daughter's 21. So obviously mm-hmm. we went through all the, you know, junior high graduations and the high school graduations and the driver's license, you know, people getting their driver's licenses and proms and, you know, all those different things. And those, those moments were hard, but at the same time, um, I had to, I had to learn to appreciate the other things. So where I had friends whose daughters were, were giving them, a hard time as a teenager, I thought, man, my daughter Kennedy has never talked back to me. <laughs> she, she's the perfect daughter. Yes. You know, what a blessing so <laughs> that I have a teenager that is an angel. Like, yeah. who else can say that they have a perfect teenager? You know, she doesn't make messes. I never have to tell her to clean her room. She doesn't ever fight with her siblings, you know, so... Yep there's blessings. Um, and, and I didn't have to worry about my, my daughter getting into drugs, or, you know, getting into a car accident. So they're just different worries, you know, where I was worrying more about her health. um, And other people were worrying about, you know, teenage pregnancies or, you know, different. So they're just different issues. Well, so going on that same line, what has been the greatest part uh, or the the most exciting part of having a child with special needs? What's been the greatest change in your life and how has it improved your life? 
Oh my goodness. Um, I would have to say the greatest thing is who it's made my family become, how much we have grown, um, how, how different we become. We become more compassionate, more observant um, of those around us. Um, my, my oldest daughter, um, she's now getting her master's to become a speech pathologist. And my second daughter is going to school to become a special education teacher. So my, my daughter underneath Kennedy, my fourth daughter um, is in her first year of college, possibly gonna become an occupational therapist. So we've all been influenced in ways that um, we want to help people, you know, we want to to make life easier for people that are struggling, like we did in the beginning. Um, my husband, in fact, um, Kennedy was just in the hospital from March till the end of June, so about four months. And with this COVID thing going on, he wasn't working and he made a complete life change and is going to become a respiratory therapist he just started school last month um, because now my daughter kennedy is you know has a trach and we just thought what can we do that will help other people we can go and be a part of other people's lives and make it a little bit easier me as a nurse, you know, same type of thing. You just, we just want to help people. So I think that's what having a special needs child has done for us. It's opened our eyes to not just thinking about ourselves and our problems, but what can we do in the world to help those that may be struggling, you know, whether it be with speech. Um, you know, my, my daughter knows the trials that we've been through with IEPs at school. And so she is going to have a different perspective as a special education teacher to make those IEPs easier for parents. And, um, you know, we, we just have a different perspective now. So I think, I think that's the greatest thing that it's done for us is helped us become better, better people. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think you're you're not the only one um, to have that experience. Uh, this past week, I shared it with a coworker. Almost that exact same sentiment that because of Zoe, um, as a family, we have grown more compassionate and aware of others and willing to help in the ways that we can. Right, right, and and it's one of those things that you know you. You can't always see people's problems and their struggles, but you know that they're there. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, on the outside, there were times where I looked like I was handling it just fine and, you know, living life and, you know, going to our appointments and, and just dealing with it. And I was fine. Um, but I think I know now that just because people look fine on the outside, doesn't mean that they don't need somebody to talk to and to really ask them, you know, 
how are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? Um, so it's, I've become probably a, a better, a better listener, you know, and, and not so, cause there were times in the beginning where I just wanted to do all the talking about the problems I was having. But now that we've lived some life with 21 years with Kennedy, it's, it's different, you know, and I'm a better, better listener and caregiver or caregiver, more, more compassionate for sure. Well, to uh, close out, um, because of, like you just mentioned, your, your uh, wealth of experience now with your daughter, what is something that you would share with families who are now just receiving a diagnosis that you wish you would have received when you had received Kennedy's diagnosis? I, I think I would tell people not, not to compare not to compare what someone else's daughter is able to do. Um, you know, it was when I would look at people and I think, oh, look, I mean, she's walking and, oh, look, she's, you know, using her hand and she can feed herself. And I would look at them and I would, I would just be jealous and, and yeah. it would make me depressed. So don't do that. Don't compare your daughter to other people. Find or your child, I know it's boys, more boys now too, um, but find their strengths and build upon those strengths. And if you, if you see somebody's daughter, you know, doing something, use that to inspire creative ideas of how you can do similar things with your daughter. So for instance, um, I would look on the internet and I would see all these amazing people, you know, going on these bike rides and um, we couldn't afford these bikes or, you know, going and doing the paddle boarding. And I'm like, okay, we can do paddle boarding. I never thought about that. Like that's something we can do um, skiing. So it, the, I guess my point is saying, if you're going to the internet, use it to, inspire you rather than depress you you know don't compare but see it as possibilities of how you can help your daughter and what you can do with her um it's it might be different but it will get those creative juices going um and another thing that i thought about is the number one advice is Doctors don't know everything. So if you're feeling like, you know, you need more therapy or something's not right and your daughter's having these weird episodes or pain or, you know, something's not right, pursue it, advocate for your child and just don't let, you know, don't let it go. Um, if you know something is wrong, but on the other hand, don't be so consumed, um, and let it control your life because I, I've done that where, um, that's all I thought about Kennedy, 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 everything was Kennedy. Um, and my life was becoming unbalanced. Um, so 
Yes, you know, make sure that she's getting the care that she needs. But if it's something that you can let go, you know, that they're trying to cut the therapy from five days a week to three days a week, um, you know, is it something you're going to lose sleep over and you're going to, you know, become physically unwell yourself because you're so focused on it? I think. Sometimes we just need to let go of things. I don't. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I absolutely. I think sometimes we just want to advocate, 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 and we're just you know trying to get it a hundred percent how we think it should be. When really life will be okay if. The therapy is, you know, three days a week instead of five days a week because um, that that was really hard for me. And I, you know, was going to hire attorneys and I was, you know, I was not going to be told that my daughter can only have therapy, you know, three days a week now. And it just consumed me to the point where I wasn't taking care of my other kids and I was becoming angry and bitter. And so advocate for your child, but also know that you have to have balance and you don't want it to, to consume you. If that makes sense. Definitely. Absolutely. I think the best bit of advice that Sarah and I received um, after Zoe's diagnosis was that there's only so much therapy in the world that will help a child. Yes. Um, there is a point where uh, so much therapy actually is detrimental to the progress of whatever it is you're trying to build in your child. And so yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, recognizing that there needs to be a balance. Yes. Um, and you need to have a balance of providing for your child with special needs, as well as providing for yourself, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, providing for others in your family. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. So true. And I, so I'm, true. I'm glad you said that because that that's exactly it is that there's only so much, you know, that you can, that you can do that's going to be helpful. And, and so what we ended up doing when I finally accepted all of that, um, we got her involved in soccer. We actually signed Kennedy up for soccer, even though she's in a wheelchair she was on a soccer team for two seasons and we got her out there on the field and she was able to move the ball with her wheelchair. And we, you know, got her involved in the choir at school and she loves the choir. She loves music. And so what happened is the things that I was trying to fight for so much to get her these therapies ended up being a blessing that we didn't get him because it allowed us to pursue other things, other avenues of growth for her and enjoyment for her. So it was a blessing in disguise. I guess that's kind of my, my point is you, you never know. Sometimes when you get turned down for things, there's a blessing on the other side. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Misty, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I have loved learning all about your family and especially Kennedy. 
thank you so much for coming on and uh, I hope we can have you on again in the future. I would love that. And I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's amazing. And thank you. Thank you for doing this interview. So. I love hearing about Misty and Kennedy and I love seeing the similarities. I love seeing the similarities between between Kennedy and Zoe and just the little things that that match up between their story and our story with Zoe. I've noticed that as I've looked at other families is that there's a lot of crossover between our stories, which I think helps kind of like with what Misty was saying with how she overcame, well, I guess overcame the grievance process. She's still going through it like all of us are, but how she was able to go and meet with other families Mm -hmm. with children with Rett syndrome and seeing that they were happy and that they were able to have healthy relationships. And you, you just begin to realize that we have more in common it's just that there are fewer of us there are fewer of these families there are fewer of these individuals there are fewer of these parents in the world who are dealing with us but i think that's what makes it so exciting too when you meet them because like i get so excited when i meet new rep families because i know right off the bat i know that we're gonna click because we have this in common and we share this experience. Yeah. Even though our experiences may look somewhat different as far as how our children are developing, we're both both families are are taking this diagnosis head on and just this is our life. Yeah. So let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really awesome. It was really awesome to speak with Misty and hear all of, the, all of those fun stories. Um, sometimes now I wish Zoe was addicted to SpongeBob instead of <laughs> Trolls, the movie, because she's branching out. She is a little bit, but I don't. I don't know. I, I would kind of like some SpongeBob every once in a while. So maybe I, I need to. Maybe I need to uh, take a trip out to California and hang out with the startups <laughs> for a week. <laughs> Me and Kennedy will become buddies and we can watch SpongeBob just... Just the two of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she and I can just hang out for a week. So, Well, with that, we are going to jump into the last segment of the show, and that is Can't Leave It. So, Sarah, what can't you leave alone? Well, okay, so... I have a bad habit of starting lots of projects all at the same time. Yes. And I have like five or six ideas for projects that I really want to start. When don't you have five or six ideas? Well, yeah, well, okay. Um, But I know that I should not start them all at the same time. Smart. So I haven't started any of them because I can't (laughs) decide where to start. It's incredibly illogical. I know. It's terrible because I, I should just start somewhere. Yeah. I want to do all these things, but I can't do all of them at the same time. Therefore, I'm not going to do any of them. I will do none. I'll, I'll get there. I'm I'm slowly deciding which project that I, I want to start with. But Good. what can't you leave? Well, 
The Mandalorian. <laughs> season two. So we we went back and we watched season one. Not we didn't really sit down and spend No. It was just kind of playing in the background when we were watching it. But I remember last year when it came out, I was like, you know, this is a high production, you know, experience show. It's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. But the stories were just not they were real surface level. They were real surface level. But season two, holy crap. My mind has been blown so many times over the course of three episodes. Uh, Baby Yoda has stolen my heart again, um, especially in the most recent two episodes. <laughs> He's absolutely adorable. He's so much fun. If you are a passionate Star Wars fan, there were several little tidbits in there in the most recent episode, which was the third one of season two, that are really awesome call-outs call to old characters um, that, that, it's just really cool. Which it's would just, be why I didn't catch any yes, of those. Yes, Because I'm not as, Yes. Uh, and then, and then the, the, the new characters are just, they're really, they're round and they're just wonderful and they're exciting and, oh, and then I, my favorite part is Bryce Dallas Howard, she has directed a number of episodes. And for those of you who don't know who she is, first off, she and Jessica Chastain look identical. They are each other's doppelgangers. It is incredible how much they look alike. When you put them side by side, you can't tell the difference. But secondly, I, I didn't realize that she was not only an incredible actress, she's a wonderful director she directed the most recent episode she also did the first episode of season two both of which were phenomenal and she uh oh and i was going to tell you she's the female lead in the new jurassic world movies okay alongside chris pratt that's helpful now i have a face to put with that yeah name. yeah so anyways she's an incredible actress she's turned out to be a phenomenal director, and I have just enjoyed every second of it. And I've talked more about this than I should have. Yes, so. you did. <laughs> and with that, thank you for joining us for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. And please leave us a rating. Leave us a message or a question on the Anchor app and become part of the show. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pretty Happy Pod, where we share episode snippets, news and updates, and photos of our adorable daughter. For more information about Rett Syndrome, visit rettsyndrome.org.